The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. All right. <laughs> we are live. Bill Amadeo, McMass and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. It's good to see the live audience is expanding. God, we just doubled. <laughs> anyway, uh, Josh Strickland has his normal mandate that I need more content. So more content we shall have. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. We're going to talk some trash about people from the past, which people seem to love. Uh, the Vetner Ice Rink. I'm going to start with that one. And all I could say is, I've never seen in a small town, Vetner was a small town, Atlantic City was a big town, Vetner was small, such a group of ass congregating around this area which was supposed to be athletic they were just there to hang out I was actually there to skate we'll talk about that <laughs> and then years later we advanced to Blockbuster Video yeah Blockbuster Video was something about that place it was like the um, the record store of the 2000s like if you worked at Blockbuster you were a big deal so okay um had a former client's sister send me a song today called High Hopes from Yours Truly. Um, as I'm listening to the lyrics, I'm not sure if they're in love with me or they're just mentally out of it, but they did send that song to me. You know, I looked at the lyrics, I was like, whoa, okay. What's up, Amber Heath? Amber Heath said, what's up, money? Yeah, yeah, we're hanging. All right, let's talk about Vetner. The Vetner ice rink was right across the street from St. James. And St. James, mm, that's where we went to grammar school and where I was an altar boy at church and stuff. So, let's break that down. We're coming from Atlantic City, right? We're going to Vetner, and Vetner's the suburbs. And we're thinking, um, you know, this is the promised land. A lot of assholes in Vetner. And the one thing that was really big was the Vetner ice rink. The ice rink was a huge area where we would all congregate. This was the spot. I actually had two of my first dates at the Vetner ice rink, and this was a sign of things to come. It was a disaster, these dates. We'll talk about them. All right, so, first thing about the Vetner ice rink was Shore Hockey School. This is where I played hockey. And there were three coaches there. Pete Salata, Paul Macignano, and Decra Batali. Three great guys. And as we learned, I just was not a good hockey player. I was a lousy skater. And one of the things they used to tell us was if you went to skating during the week, you would improve. And I did. So I used to go to the ice rink and practice, practice, practice. What I've learned was a couple things. One, it's not good taking a bus home to the ghetto with a hockey bag over you. I was like, because the bag was bigger than me, right? I mean, if you want to get mugged, this was a way to do it. So, don't try that at home. (laughs) Or anywhere, for that matter. And the second thing I learned is, I was one of the few people that was actually going there to practice my skating. And this really pissed off Father Sullivan. I mean, we've talked a lot about Father Sullivan. You guys have heard some things, but he hated ice hockey. 
that was one of his things. It's like, you know what? You had to make a choice between religion and playing hockey. And hockey was on Sundays. So I had to negotiate with him. If I did the Saturday night mass and then the Sunday night mass, I could play hockey. And again, thank you for that, Father Sullivan. Wherever you are, he's passed away. But, um, you know, there was nothing quite as fun as having my hockey gear home after Sunday night mass. Sullivan reminded me of Jim Jones in some ways. Now, he wasn't evil on the level of Jim Jones. Let me be clear about that. But he was very jealous of kids playing sports. He thought that sports actually took away from religion. It was a very bizarre thing. He felt like you couldn't do both. You know? The Ventnor Rink was really... It was about socialization. And this is where we start to separate based on social economics, right? It was the wealthier kids, was the poorer kids, who had the better skates, who didn't. It was a weird mix. And one of the things that used to happen on Friday nights at the Ventnor Rink was a bunch of older kids were there. These were like kids like 17 and were like 13 skating. And these 17-year-olds, they would just chill. They'd be watching people skate. What we're learning today is they were like predators. You know, it was like the 17-year-old kids that were hooking up the 13-year-old girls. Today, that would be CSC3s all day. But back then, in the 90s, it was just social accepted behavior. I wasn't part of it. I was the one trying to date 13-year-old girls my own age, and they were dissing me for the 17-year-old weirdos that were hanging by the ice rink. And what I used to do, and I know that some of the live audience doesn't approve of this, but I used to put my headphones on, I used to practice my skating. Now, this wasn't the coolest thing in the world to do. Understand this. Because this is back before iPads and all that. Like, I had, like, headphones and a tape deck. I'd have it and I'm freezing on the rink. It wasn't a good look, you know? But I want to become a better hockey player. So I'm playing on the rink and I'm doing all that happy horse shit. And, um, you start socializing with certain girls. I remember I was so excited, at 14, I had my first real date. Pretty blonde, and I'm pretty excited. She kind of made a move on me, and I'm thinking, I'm the man, right? So I take her to the ice rink. I, being the gentleman I am, I buy her ticket to the rink, get her a hot chocolate. This is it, maybe my first kiss tonight. Nope, <laughs> not what happened at all. What happened instead was one of those 17-year-olds, she was trying to get with him, and she made him jealous with me. So, being a small 14-year-old and this large 17-year-old, he decided to call me out in a fight. I fought. Unsuccessfully, I might add. I got my ass kicked at the Ventnor Ice Rink. And, um, I gotta tell you, the supervisors there, they didn't really do anything. The adults that were supposed to be watching, I think they just enjoyed me watching. You know, I got a bloody nose, and Aunt Mary goes, how was your date? How do you think? You know? And, um, later she apologized for that. Um, so that was an interesting first date. I was used for the older punk. I'll tell you what happened to him later. 
Spoiler alert. He's not doing big things today. My second date was several weeks later to Venner Ice Rink. Now you thought I would have learned from the first one, right? Nope. This time, it was a girl I went to uh, school with. And she goes, hey, why don't we go to the ice rink together? And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is really cool. I'm all excited. So I do the whole thing again. I buy her tickets and get her the hot chocolate. I'm all excited. We're holding hands on the ice rink. And now she was a freshman in high school, but she's dating this little punk who's in sixth grade. And she used me to piss him off. Now this kid... A couple years younger than us. He was, he was a nobody. But luckily for me, he hung out with older kids who um wouldn't dare let anything happen to him. So I got roughed up again. And she went over to him. So either the older weirdos or the younger weirdos, I was being used. I, I guess I was cute because I must have been leveraged for these idiots, right? They're skating with me. They're going to piss off the guy they liked. I'm pleased to say... That not only do I feel I'm much more attracted to those people today, but both that kid that was the older one and the younger one are both living in the same facility in the New Jersey Department of Corrections today. Um, they, um, they like to deal narcotics. And I saw the girls on Facebook. I got friend requests, and whew, all I could say is thank God for unanswered prayers. Man, I tell you, if that would have worked out at 14, whoa! Would have been a fucking mistake at 30. <laughs> I am so glad that the Butner Ice Rink was not successful with dating. I'll tell you, it was bad. You know? I mean, I don't want to get my ass kicked, but these girls are not even attracted today. They used me at 14. <laughs> you know, what the hell? I deserve that. I bought them the tickets, I got them the cocoa, I just wanted to hold hands, maybe kiss the end of the night. Nope. Not gonna happen. It was. There were really weird clicks too. It was like there were the group of people that actually wanted to skate, then the ones that were hanging out, the cool kids that were smoking, the ones that were sniffing glue. Yeah, it was the weird ones. I mean, <sighs> Vendor Ice Rink had its clicks, man. You know, and you know what says something about me is I kept going back. Why? <laughs> Like, why the hell would you continue to go back to the goddamn rink where you keep getting used and beat up? I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. Even when getting my ass kicked at 14, I knew I was burning the guys I was being played for, so I said to myself that... I remember Mr. Harper, our high school principal, it was a week after I got beat up once at the ice rink. You know, it was bad enough on the ghetto, you know, the jitney rides, but the ice rink is supposed to be safe. Oops. Mr. Harper, good good principal, right? He says to us one day, you're going to look back and high school will be the best time of your life. <laughs> yeah, f*** you. <laughs> I knew that was bullshit. And the Ventnor Ice Rink, it was, um, remember this at home, guys. Those guys that are high school heroes or the ones that are cool in high school, it, it's fleeting, man. You know, the people where high school is really the best four years of their life have really sad lives. That's one of the horrible things about Facebook. Facebook, basically, it's a great marketing tool. God knows I've used it, it's helped our firm, but 
It also allows idiots that were really big in high school to recapture that excitement. We are cool again. We have our groups. Alright, knock yourself out with that one. And that was the Vendor Ice Rink. Now, Blockbuster. To me, this is when the Vetner Ice Rink grew up. Blockbuster Video was such a huge thing in the late 90s and early 2000s. And what you used to do, on your days off from work or after work, whatever, you go get your videos. You know? You've been there, right? Yeah, you get the videos. It was your thing. And it was always what videos were coming out. And they always had, like, three of the new one. And you want to get there first to get that new one. You know, there was no on-demand back then. You know, there was no Netflix. There was a race to get these cool films and have some of your crew over. It's like a dollar forty-nine. Oh, you didn't rewind, sir. Jesus. And they were cocky about it, too. When you didn't rewind the tape at Blockbuster, they gave you so at Blockbuster, it was like this inner circle. Let me tell you about the Blockbuster employee. Let me start Very stereotypical right now. They were usually somebody who started smoking pot very young. Didn't make it through college. And they were the cool kids because they had control over who got those three tapes. You wanted to get those three tapes... You had to have an in. I remember getting there one time and won it, like, I forget what movie it was, but I was like the first one there. And the guy at Blockbuster didn't like me. He's like, nope, we're out. I was pissed. I was really pissed. So I waited around, I circled around, and this other kid got it like two hours later. And I went in there and said, ah! So he didn't have it. Why'd he get it? And you learned that day, you know, it was like a hierarchy. Who was going to get it, who wasn't? And this was at the Vetner Plaza. The Vetner Plaza in Vetner Heights, New Jersey, was where ass went to congregate. These kids would just chill out at the plaza just to hang out and talk. At the plaza, there was ShopRite, there was Bradley's, there was a department store, there was all these little stores, and then there was Blockbuster. And Blockbuster to me was like, I don't know, it was one of those places where you try to fit in because you want to buy, you want to rent your films. That's all you want to do. You want to rent the films and be cool. You went with your crew. And eventually it got became like a status symbol. You didn't go into Blockbuster alone. If you went into Blockbuster alone, you were a geek. So me, Q, and Scotty Zolber, may he rest in peace. We used to have this thing where we would always meet to go to Blockbuster together. Lucky back then it's tragic, right? <laughs> you know, but back then, it was the shit, You know, and when I hear older people tell me about record stores, I think of Blockbuster Video. Blockbuster Video was the in place. And the people that controlled the power of Blockbuster Video were also some of the people that were cool in high school and couldn't make it through college, or ones that were okay in college could make it in the real world. They had their blue blockbuster suit on and they thought they were big deals with it and they controlled the films. Remember one time, 
And, you know, remember, this is before DVR and all that. I used to go rent Sopranos. We used to have the three disc Sopranos, right? You could, like, get three episodes of the Sopranos. I used to go in there. And this one ass his name was Jacob. He was a manager at Blockbuster. Didn't you watch? He's already on HBO. Oh, what, dude? Can you just ring me the f*** up? Seriously. Jacob's done some time. I, I will say, I really enjoy the fact that so many of my enemies have, like, done prison time. And I keep people out of prison. I get a kick out of that. I was talking to um, the live audience today, and I was telling them, they said, what are your ideas for Facebook Lives? And I, I realized now, I'm successful. I could just say weird People gonna listen. Four years ago, I'd be a weirdo on this thing. Now it's like, oh, look how creative Bill is. A blockbuster video. So, all right, that's blockbuster video and the Ventner ice ring. The jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio. I was in Port Huron, right? Trial prepping and doing trials, and I'm in a Zoom in Wayne from my car. And there's this hot mic moment. And I heard the lawyer, he didn't have his camera on mute, have his thing on mute or whatever, and he screamed at his client, if you get a third jaywalking ticket, we might be facing jail time. And that is how the week started. Alright, I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and today we are doing jail visit content. And I gotta admit, not gonna lie to anybody, I've been working since 6 a.m. I think I killed more trees today than a guy chopping wood. I filed motion after motion, went to the gym. I am absolutely exhausted. But um, we are going to do some topics today. Today, for the jail visit content, our topics are, number one, the preliminary exam. Number two, Zoom versus live hearings. Number three, a little bit of Shiawassee legal talk. And then four, the right to life discussion. And these are all going to be brief. We're going to start with the preliminary exam. Preliminary exam is at the district court level. When we're talking about the prelim, what the prosecutor has to do to get the case bound over to circuit court is show probable cause. Probable cause is next to nothing. What we have to show for probable cause is that a crime may have been committed. So in essence, if a complaining witness says something happened that's enough to bound the thing over so you might ask yourself what's the point of running a preliminary examination well this varies from county to county guys like in shiawassee i don't really run prelims got a lot of respect for that prosecutor's office and i think a prelim is usually a waste of time if i'm hedging for trial or I'm working on a plea, I don't want to preview my case. If I'm in Wayne County, I'm probably going to run that shit because I want to preview the case and shake things up. 
Um, I had a prelim in Wayne the other day. I mean, and I tore this witness apart. The judge bounded over. The judge said on the record, you got a wealth of information here. There's problems at trial. Well, mission accomplished. I've won eight prelims in my career, which is probably nine more than most people. <laughs> and a prelim, in civil context, it'd be like having a frivolous complaint. In a criminal context, it's such a low burden. Um, you got to really look at who the complaining witnesses are. You know, with the prelim, it's usually a bullshit hearing. But what you want to do with a prelim is you want to build discovery. Adam Cartwright, who's a damn good criminal defense lawyer in Missouri, always refers to preliminary examinations as free discovery. You want to lock in a story. You want to lock in a story to potentially use to impeach somebody in the future. You gotta make sure you sequester people at the prelim. Like, for example, if there were 12 liars, sorry, 12 alleged victims that claim something happened and you asked to sequester, you also have to take it off YouTube. Because if the lawyer's not smart enough to realize that people can watch YouTube, you might your client over. Zoom error, guys. Get this shit off YouTube to protect doctored testimony. A motion to sequester doesn't mean shit if it's on YouTube and people can watch it and come in and testify to that. I just... How fucking stupid are some of these lawyers? I'm asking the live audience here because I got somebody who's very intelligent watching this right now and we go over our cases every day and I'm like, how would you keep something on YouTube when there's other witnesses about to go? I mean, did the defense lawyer say, hey, let's make sure they don't have access to their phones? You can't compromise things. And in Wayne County, it's interesting, because in Wayne, you almost have to run a prelim. In Washington, it depends who the prosecutor is. In Jackson, you might want to build discovery. And it goes back to something I said a long time ago. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The way you practice criminal law in Shiawassee is not the way you practice criminal law in Washington, and that's not the way you practice criminal law in Wayne County. There was a Wayne County lawyer, it's a funny story, and they had a prelim, and this was a big-time Wayne County lawyer. And they showed up 29 minutes late to the prelim. I remember this because the prosecutor who I'm friends with was telling me how they showed up 29 minutes late. In Shiawassee, if you show up late, you gotta be out of your fucking mind. You show up on time, you look appropriate, you advocate properly, and you show up when the court tells you to show up. In Wayne, it's almost like suggested times, you know? You got a nine o'clock. Well, now it's 10.15. Judge, the prosecutor didn't show up yet. Well, it's only 10.15, Mr. Amadeo. <laughs> you know? It's not... You can't practice law the same way everywhere. And... I tell this to anybody, if you're a little off and you work hard, you too can be a good criminal defense lawyer. People keep telling me, I like, I had some young kids email me this week and they told me like, you're a role model. You're like the face of success. I gotta tell you, if this is success, I'm just gonna run into the ground. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm nuts at times. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that's gonna FOIA stuff in the middle of the night or email the prosecutor at two in the morning. This is not traditional criminal defense. And when I'm running a prelim, 
you better really be looking at why I'm doing that. You know, when there's a county where there's an option to run it, and I'm demanding you run it, either I think somebody's not showing up or I want to lock in a story. If I'm not running it, I may be holding my card to the vest. But I hate it. I hate these lawyers who just run it to run it. And I hate ones that wave it because they're scared to run it. You got to look at every case specific. Okay? They don't teach you this in law school. You know, the person, my crim law professor, I remember Norman Fell. I don't know if he knows what a prelim is. You know? I mean, I know he, like, he, like, graded essays and stuff like that. And I know his claim to fame was the Innocence Project. I remember when I worked with Norman Fell in the Innocence Project, he used to get pissed off because I made too much work for him. Well, the reason why, the reason why we're making work is because we're trying to protect someone's fucking freedom. Lawyers do not come in all shapes and sizes, but the one thing you can always do as an attorney, the one thing you have an obligation to do, is work your ass off. You're not going to win every case. But if you push the limit and you get better results than anybody else, that's all about effort, man. There's nothing you learned in law school that's going to make you a good criminal defense lawyer. There's nothing you learned in the bar that's going to make you a good criminal defense lawyer. What they don't measure is heart. They don't measure effort. Take those IQ tests and show them up your ass. I know so many people that were dominant law students that I wouldn't want representing someone, wait for it, on a jaywalking ticket. I really, I heard that this week. Literally. Somebody had their third jaywalking ticket in Wayne. They were potentially facing jail time. I gotta tell you. I'm a Jersey kid. I mean, I think, like, stop signs were optional. We used to jaywalk all the time. And I'm sure I got some enemies out there watching. You got me, MSP. I'm a jaywalker. So, maybe that will get me off some of your cases. I don't know. When we're prosecuting people for jaywalking, I really wonder, what the f*** are we doing here? There's no prelims on jaywalking. With misdemeanors, there's no such thing as a preliminary examination. You have pre-trials and trials. So, misdemeanors are usually not heavy lifting. But, you know, it depends. There's some judge that will give you jail time on a misdemeanor, so you got to watch your back. But, um, yeah. I've been known to jaywalk, and I never actually envisioned that people could do jail time for jaywalking. This had to be in the city of Detroit. Hey, listen, me and the Detroit PD, we don't always hit it off, but guys, there's some other shit going on in Detroit. Leave those jaywalkers alone. There's a murder going on across the street. We need to take care of that, not the guy who's fucking jaywalking. Anyway, preliminary exam, not a one-size-fits-all. Know what county you're in. Know if you want to plea, if you want to go to trial. Do you want to lock in a story? Do you want to preview the case? Is there something bigger than the case itself? You know, we really need to pick what's going on. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Topic two, Zoom versus live hearings. Let's talk about that. COVID air. We are in the Zoom realm, guys. And when I say the Zoom realm, 
whole different ball game. What we had to do was move a lot of things to Zoom because we were worried about COVID spreading. And in my opinion, there's some things you can't do on Zoom, but there's many things you can accomplish on Zoom. I'm going to tell you guys a funny Zoom story later, but um, yeah. It doesn't have the same effect, but we've learned, like, when you're looking at a probationary sentence and somebody's not facing prison time, you know, the whole thing here is you can probably accomplish a lot on Zoom. But when you don't think a complaining witness is going to show up, you need to demand a live hearing. If somebody's facing life in prison, you need to demand a live hearing. And obviously, if we get to a jury trial, can't do that on Zoom. What I am learning is like I'm doing some abuse and neglect cases. Some of those things can be accomplished on Zoom. Zoom is valuable. And it's amazing that it took a national pandemic for criminal defense to learn the value of Zoom. And you know, not that I'm a big supporter of Zoom, but any type of electronic hearings, there is value in them. There's no reason to travel three hours for a probable cause conference. There may be a reason to travel six hours preliminary examination. You know, again, you got to know your county. I'll say like Oakland and Wayne, they're doing a lot of stuff on Zoom now. But there is concerns. And the concern's going to be an appeal. You know, we, the Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court have not really addressed the problems with Zoom. So if somebody gets convicted and most of their hearings were via Zoom, that could be a problem. You know, um, it is what it is, but there is a lot we can accomplish virtually that we don't have to travel to. But I tell you this one story. I was in a Zoom waiting room once in a county far, far away. It wasn't local. And we were waiting for our cases to be called. And the judge in this county, and it's a very interesting judge. I won't mention the guy's name. I don't work in that county often, so that should tell you it's not Wayne, it's not Shiawassee, it's not Washington. And, um, you know, when you're surfing the net on Zoom, you got to be careful. You just got to be careful. There were two lawyers, I knew, and the judge pulled up our screens. It was like a bunch of us, and they pulled up our screens. And like on my screen, I was like taking notes on the case. Nothing wrong with that, right? Two of the guys were looking at pornography on the Zoom. <laughs> and the judge called them out. And he immediately took it off YouTube. Why would you look at porn on Zoom? That's insane, man. I mean, you got a problem, bro. I mean, you just set yourself up for malpractice. Imagine you're the client and your lawyer is surfing the net for pornography instead of studying your case. I remember I was in a Zoom hearing one day and there's um there's a court appointed lawyer. Nice guy. He sucks, but he's a nice guy. And a prosecutor was talking to him and he says to the court appointed guy, he goes, Hey, I at the prelim the other day, I saw you polishing your gun. What type of gun was it? And the court appointed guy starts telling the prosecutor what type of gun it is. And those two are having this chat about a gun. 
And I'm thinking to myself, oh my god. You were polishing your gun during a fucking preliminary examination on Zoom? Dude, we've got people's lives in our hands here. So, if you're on Zoom, let's not look at porn. Let's not polish our fucking guns. Let's focus on the task at hand. You know, if you ever, if you're one of these people that's on the fence about going to law school and you don't think you're good enough, please go down to the court someday or just go on YouTube. You'll feel a lot better about yourself. Just because somebody got through law school and passed the bar does not mean they're intelligent. Good God. I literally would not have some of these people representing my dog on cases. A lot of lawyers I respect, but Jesus, man. Come on, guys. One thing that's dangerous about Zoom to the undisciplined lawyer or the one who doesn't care is everything's on camera now. You know? It's not the days when some idiot's playing with their phone when they're supposed to be studying a case. Now you're on YouTube with it. So really, we need to step our game up. You know, I respect lawyers. I really do. But lawyers that don't care just piss me off. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Shiawassee Legal Talk. There we go. Well, I'm going to tell you this. The Board of Commissioners, I mean, this should be like a reality show. We could have Root banging the gavel and Cindy Garber not properly being clothed and Plowman screaming at people. While his head gets real, face gets really red because he's pissed off about things. Let me tell you what I heard. I don't know if it's true or not. The rumor on the street is that they are going to bid the job for the new lawyer. So the board of commissioners are supposed to take bids for a new lawyer. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to tell you this. If we're going to take bids on being the attorney in that position I'm going to do two things one I'm going to call Scott Corner and Scott's somebody I respect a lot even though he wants to kill me right now because we're on some heated cases if Scott Corner is going to get the job which I believe is the right thing for the prosecutor's office to get that job we are not bidding however if Corner is not taking the job. You rest assured McManus and Amadeo is going to put a bid in. And I'm going to put a young lawyer out there. Get an office there. And I want the board to tell me if they are taking bids. Why our firm, for a low price, will not be getting this job. Here's what we're going to do. We're probably going to put a bid for 60 k a year with 20k going back to the mental health court. And if you think I'm doing it to make 40 grand a year, you don't know what I'm dealing with in my career right now. But I would love just to have an office in Shiawassee 
and be there more often. And I got a young lawyer in place where they will make all that 40 and Long's doing some other work for us. We'll give money back to the mental health court and we will rock with that. If there is no bid happening, obviously I'm not going to put one in, but I'll be really clear. The prosecutor's office should be the attorney. But if it is going to end up being open season, we'll put a bid in. And I want them to explain why our firm, which would basically be doing it on a pro bono basis, should not get it. Part of me just says, you know what, I know we'd be the best option out there other than the prosecutor's office. And number two, why wouldn't you hire us for the proper price? Cindy Garber, you once said to me in an email about how the people have spoken when they reelected you guys. Listen, it's Shiawassee. A lot of people basically voted Republican across the board, which I understand, but they didn't vote for you. If anybody really knew, the more you guys talk, the more vulnerable your positions are. Got a group of idiots there. You need a fucking lawyer that's going to come in and change some shit. And I'm going to tell you right now, if our firm was to get involved, there's going to be some major fucking changes from a legal perspective. And if we're not, we're not. Prosecutor's office, they should be the one getting the job. But if it's going to be open season, we're going to come in, do a bang-up job, make sure the mental health court gets money they deserve, and we're going to make Shiawassee a better place in the litigation aspect of things. You could quote me on that. And if anybody wants to challenge me, you let me know where to meet you. I will have a public debate on this. <laughs> we'll just move from that point. Right-to-life discussion. This is a heated heated topic right now you know there's some case law out of texas which is talking about potentially moving back to a pro-life versus a pro-choice situation let me just tell you my history because i i'm not like the huge pro-life guy brian largy who's a good friend of mine who's a strong political candidate, he is, pro-life is near and dear to him. Right to life is near and dear to me. I'm going to explain the difference right now. All right, let me explain this. As a kid, growing up strong Catholic, um, altar boy at Father Sullivan, if you ever sold the St. James stuff, uh, Catholicism was always shoved down our throat. I was an altar boy, served Mass multiple times a week. Used to be forced to go to abortion rallies. I remember Father Sullivan once made us go to a rally when the Eagles were playing the Cowboys. And instead of watching the football game, I was with a bunch of people at a rally. Didn't even know what was going on. Like, it gets, no matter what side you are, you know, it gets shoved down your throat. And personally, you know what? I'm a guy, I can't carry a child. And because I cannot carry a child, I really don't think it's my place to say if a woman should have a choice or not. That's a woman's decision. Here's what I will argue, though. And I want to go to Sarah Lynn Jones on this. Bobby Reyes' mom. Once you have the child, should you not have a right to fight for that child's life? Because what I watched in the Bobby Reyes case, and yeah, this is f***ing personal... 
what I watched in the Bobby's Reyes case was U of M and a lot of people fighting to kill a child. You know, that's just messed up. If we're going to say that a woman should have a choice whether to abort or not, shouldn't that same woman have a choice to keep fighting for her child's life? Sarah's not an isolated incident, unfortunately. But Sarah was... The right to fight for her son's life was taken away from her. How the hell... Are we going to say if a woman has a choice of what to do with her body, the woman should not have the same choice to keep her son alive? Explain that to me. I don't care if you're pro-life or you're pro-choice. I really don't give a sh**. What I do care about is that if we're going to give a woman the right to bear a child, that woman should also have a right to protect that child's life when the child's life is on the line. I saw so many people come out and say it was unethical to keep Bobby alive. There was an argument the kid wasn't dead. And here's where I'm at. If there's a chance that Bobby Reyes can survive, if there's this much of a chance, how the f are we not going to take that chance to try to protect the kid's life? Explain that to me. I don't give a shit if U of M brings in 14 lawyers and pays hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to take the kid off of life support. I don't care what their position is. Let's just forget all the legal bullshit for a minute. Let's just talk human to human. If there's a chance for a child to survive... And the family wants to exhaust that opportunity. Why should they not be given the right? Explain that to me. I don't want to hear about statutes. I don't want to hear about theories. Forget about that. I get it. My education could be put up against anybody and vice versa. Fuck all that. Forget about all the education. Forget about all the accolades. Let's just talk person to person. And my question is, if there's a chance, how do we not take that chance? Explain to me what your position is on that. I told the court they were giving Bobby Reyes a death sentence by not giving Sarah and Jose the opportunity to find another hospital. You know, and the politics, the political atmosphere was amazing. People didn't want to go against U of M. I don't know. Just, people still say to me today, were you scared of going against U of M? And my response was, well, as a white kid growing up in Atlantic City in the 90s, I was scared of MS-13 and the Crips, but I wasn't scared of fucking U of M. If the family wants to fight for their child... After they conceived and raised a child, who the f*** are we to take that away from them? And it really confused me because so many pro-choicers were in favor of taking Bobby off life support. I think that's kind of hypocritical. If you're pro-choice, your argument is that the woman has a right to choose, right? Okay, I respect that. 
Why doesn't Sarah get a right to choose? Why should she lose that choice just because Bobby's not a fetus anymore? Explain that to me, guys. I want somebody to really f***ing break that down for me. If a woman has a right to choose whether to abort or not abort, why should that same woman not have a right to fight for her child's life when the child's life is on the line? It's got to go both ways. The child does not become less important once they're born. I will never understand the fight that U of M put up. And I'll tell you what, motherfuckers. Because I was learning on the fly. You would have given me another 30 days. Things might have been very different. I really regret I didn't know about this issue prior to that. Because I would have put sh** on pause for that. I'm glad the family got two weeks, but it should have been a lifetime that got taken away. With that said, we have some questions that were emailed in. Can you explain where things are with Bobby's Law? Well, I don't know right now. The essence of Bobby's Law, and this is something that um, Amanda and Sarah and Carrie Perez could speak more intelligently on, but what I can tell you is this. The gist of it, the goal, in my opinion is to give parents more of a right to decide on fighting for their child's life. That's the goal. And it becomes a real partisan issue. In essence, um, the right-wingers will be more in favor of Bobby's law and the left-wingers should not. And my, my argument to that is this. I don't care where you stand in a political half circle. I don't care if you're to the left or right. I mean, we should always be about protecting a child. Bobby's law becomes what it should become. The Sarah Lynn Joneses of the world will have more of a right to protect their children. So it's something we need to work as a team for. All right, that's where I'm at with it. Um, where things are, it's a complete gray area right now. That's the best I can answer right now. I'm not a leader in that regard. Question two. Is a polygraph ever admissible? Yeah. It's not admissible at trial. Um, it's admissible in pretrials. It's admissible at probation violations. It's admissible at sentencings. There is value with the polygraph. I would say this. Um, we put our tax dollars into the polygraph unit at Michigan State Police. And if we're going to pay for those tax dollars, if our tax dollars are going into that, there should be more credibility going into it. A prosecutor will use a failed poly and try to get an admission on a pre or post test and use it to build their case. But if you pass the polygraph, that's not admissible. That's bullshit. You know, there is value in it, but I feel the polygraph should be more valued and more treasured than it is. If we're a defense lawyer or a probation officer or a judge or a prosecutor, aren't we searching for the truth? We're not just searching for a conviction, right? We're searching for the truth. Let's make sure we get to the truth. Alright guys, I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message. Later.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.